Well, guys, I want to introduce some friends to you guys. This is Blake and Sammy Donnelly, and uh, they are currently serving with the Free Burma Rangers. Some of you guys have heard of them. You've heard of uh, Dave Eubanks, Dave and Karen, and who were here, uh, I think, a few weeks ago. And so hopefully some of you guys got to see them at the rodeo. I'm sure Dave prayed for like 90 people in about 30 minutes. Um, and so they've got four girls they're going to introduce you guys to, um, but really want you guys to welcome them well. So give them a round of applause. They're going to share a lot. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Wow, this, is this like the only church in Cody? It's packed in here. This is awesome. Well, it's super good to be here. Um, the way that we do this, we always want to share our personal testimony before we get into where we serve and, and what's going on over in the Middle East and in Burma. Um, so this is my wife, Samantha. She's amazing. She's going to talk here in a minute. We have four daughters. Like Greg said, our oldest is Victoria. She's right there. Can you raise your hand? Stand up. She's 11. And then we have Olivia, who is nine, Joanna, who's six, and Selah, who is two. So uh, they keep us busy and young. And so, yeah, we just wanted to share the testimony of our marriage first. We, we, believe, we share this for a couple reasons. The first reason is that, uh, you know, the Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we share the testimony of what Jesus did in our life, we're speaking that into the congregation to you guys to build hope and to build faith that he wants to do it again and he wants to do it again and again and again. So if you know someone or if you are going through something today, um, everything that we're sharing is just what Jesus has done through our lives and continues to do. And we, you know, a testimony is not over when you give your life to the Lord. It's every day you get a new ad addition to that testimony. And so we're really excited to be here and share. Um, we're going to first, I'm going to show a video really quick. It's kind of our, uh, where we've been over the last year. It's been about two years since we've been here and, and met some of you. Um, but we've been in Iraq, in Syria, in Tajikistan, Afghanistan border last year, and then in Burma and Thailand. And so this video kind of shows all of those areas. It shows our family in all those areas. The opening clip is a video of the girls hiding in a, a bunker. There's a there's an airplane that's bombing overhead because there's all kinds of indiscriminate bombing that's happening in Burma. And so it opens with that clip, the girls covering their ears, and then it goes into some, some other uh, clips. But then after that, my wife's going to share our personal testimony. A quick disclaimer about that. I have no shame in my testimony. I share my testimony all the time. It takes me about three hours to get through it. <laughs> so I know I want to respect your time. Uh, we, we were in Washington not too long ago, and I went fishing with a, with a couple guys, and there was a guy I'd never met in the truck, and the lake we were going to was about two and a half hours away, and he gets in the truck, and he's like, hey, so what's your story? And I didn't realize until we got to the lake, I was still telling my testimony. I'm like, this is why my wife shares this testimony, is because she does it in about 10 minutes, and it's just as powerful. It's just I cry a lot, and I have a lot of details, and it just gets messy. So um, anyway, this is my wife. And if you want to play that video, and then I'll let my wife share. Girls, cover your ears. Cover your ears. Yeah. 
that's what it looks like um, over the past year to kind of do ministry together as a family. And it's just an honor and uh, just amazing to see what God has done, just reflecting on those clips even. Um, just provokes so much emotion because really it's looking back at what the Lord has done in our life and with our family. And so Blake and I, we've been married for 12 years this year. And um, the first eight years of our marriage was a really difficult time for us. We went through a lot of different trials and tribulations. Um, we ended up, well, we were both from uh, this, we met in a small town called Colville, Washington. And both of us were raised in Christian homes. Um, I had a relationship with Jesus. I was really passionate on fire as a teenager. And I met Blake, and um, I felt like uh, he was the coolest person I had ever known. And I thought that he was really on, on track, really after God's heart as well. Um, but there was a little bit of a disconnect, and we made some mistakes, and we ended up getting pregnant our senior year of high school. And we decided to go ahead, get married, and start a family. So for, from that point, I decided, okay, um, we're going to turn to God. We're going to uh, just dig into our faith, and we're going to just trust God to do something with this. And really, kind of the overarching theme uh, of my life is that God makes all things new. And in it, Revelations 21 talks about all things being made new. And so that was really my heart cry for our marriage and our family and just pressing into the Lord and saying, okay, I trust you. You're going to do something with this. You're going to turn the ashes into beauty. Um, and through that time, Blake felt a lot of rejection. He felt really kind of an outcast. And he realized he really didn't have a relationship with Jesus. He didn't have a, uh, that. He had a foundation, but he didn't actually have it for himself. So... Um, he ended up kind of walking away from our family, from God. He decided that he was going to be able to do this on his own. And that led to just the road of drugs, alcohol, infidelity. And um, it was just kind of this vicious cycle for the first eight years of our marriage where um, God remained faithful. But uh, through that time, Blake was really just trying to look to the world to find anything he could to fill himself. And... So during those eight years, we had times of separation where we were living apart and um, just kind of pressing in and praying for our marriage and taking the position of prayer and faithfulness to the Lord and praying for our family. And I really felt like God really sheltered and protected the girls and I through this process. And so during that time, Blake decided um, he would try to be a, become a Navy SEAL. We lived in Kodiak, Alaska for the first year of our marriage. And he, that's where he decided, this is something I'm going to try. I can do this. Again, just trying to reach all these um, heights on his own, just relying on his own strength, really. So he became a Navy SEAL. He got through training. And that just kind of put a mask on all of the symptoms that were buried uh, underneath. So it just gave him um, another layer, an excuse, and covering to continue living in this toxic life with these habits and really didn't help um, lead him to, to Christ at that time. So uh, as we went through that, we had Victoria, our oldest, and then Joanna, or, say, or sorry, we had Olivia, who's uh, nine, and then we had Jojo, who's six. And um, basically towards the end of it all, I really felt the Lord calling me into just, calling me back into the secret place, into the quiet place to really 
um, go deeper with him and that he was going to begin to just kind of prepare me for the next season that was coming and to just trust him. And um, so, well, what happened was in, um, at the end of his Navy career, um, Blake <clears throat> just became more and more cold, more and more distant from our family. Um, and really, it looked like it was just about to explode. Our lives were just about to implode on us. And during that time, I just remember uh, the Lord putting it on my heart specifically to start a woman's Bible study in my home with some of the wives and girlfriends from the SEAL teams and really to get into the Word with them. And that became kind of the anchor and the, the thing that got us through the next couple years for me and the girls. And through that, um, you know, it's just, it's just a call to community. Like, we need each other. We need to surround each other. The enemy wants to try and isolate us. He wants to try to get us alone, get us alone with our thoughts and doubt and anxieties and fear, when really we need to be able to surround ourselves with other believers to encourage us and speak life and truth and to build that foundation, build that up. So it was through that community that um, I really found encouragement and strength in my marriage and started to press into the Lord. And he started to wake me up in the middle of the night with dreams and visions of what Blake was doing and in this basically other life that he was living in the teams. Because um, while you're in the teams as a Navy SEAL on the, on the East Coast, we were living in Virginia Beach, you're gone like the majority of the time. So for about two years, he basically wasn't home. Um, our two-year-old daughter didn't know him as dad, and it was just a completely separate life. And so he was, God was waking me up just to pray for him and to intercede for our marriage and for his life. And um, it got to the point where I felt this heavy burden, and I felt like, okay, I need to go home. And home was Washington State. So I took the girls, we flew to Washington, and I just felt at that point that God was saying, this is it. Like, you've battled for this in the spirit. Now watch it manifest in the flesh. And it had been years of just going to the Lord and saying, okay, God, I know that my husband is doing all these things. What, what do you want me to do? What do I do with this? And going back to him and asking, what do you have for us in this? Because people are going to say things, and it might look different to the world. Um, and they might say, you know, they might be encouraging you to do one thing, when God is going to be telling you to do something completely different when you're trusting in him and you have your faith in him. So he was telling me to stay in my marriage, to stay committed to praying for my husband and for my family. And um, so listening to him, there were just times where it was like, why? Like, why have you brought us to this point? Why are you doing these things? Why are you allowing these things to happen? And at one point, I just remember God saying, you're to forgive Blake his sin as far as the east is from the west. And then you've all played the harlot in your relationship with me. And really, you, you get to know the Lord's voice when you spend time with him in that intimate place and what he's speaking to you. Um, that, that becomes your rock, your foundation, so you can stand on something solid when the waves come, when the storm hits. And it feels like if you're like, if you're built on sand, there you go. You're going to just end up being tossed with the waves, and you're not going to be able to stand firm on anything. So when you know the voice of God and the word that he's speaking to you, you can stand on solid ground and say, this is what God has spoken, and I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to trust it. So he gave me that unwavering faith for eight years, and um, 
When we got back to Washington State, it was just this time of, okay, it's done, release. And at that point, um, my dad, he was uh, just a really big mentor in my spiritual walk. And he said to me, I think Blake, um, I think he's still cheating on you. I think there's still a lot going on that he's not telling you. I think you need to give your heart to God and give your husband to God. And I was just like, oh, we've been through eight years of this. Like, when is it going to be over? But I said, okay. So I went and I prayed and I was praying to God and I said, God, I give you my heart. I give you my husband. And at that moment, he gave me a vision of our family and he was holding us in his hands. And he said, I'm bringing you into a new covenant and I'm cutting off the old one. And at that moment, I was filled with hope and I I knew that this was his promise to me, even though it didn't make sense at all. Our situations and our circumstances were completely opposite. And, um, and so the next day, Blake calls me and he says, hey, I need you to come back to Virginia Beach. I'm getting kicked out of the Navy for drugs and alcohol and they're sending me to rehab. So I'm like, okay, all right. So we get on the plane, we fly back to Virginia Beach and we get to the house and Blake is just fully manifesting everything in his life, all the sin that was there that he was trying to hold it all together on his own was just fully out on the table. He was doing drugs in the house. He was suicidal. He was depressed. He was telling me he wanted a divorce. Um, It was just the end. And right before he went into rehab, uh, his best friend, who was also getting kicked out, it's a big, big bust you can read about in the Navy Times, um, there was 10 guys who ended up getting kicked out of SEAL Team 10. And, well, they ended up getting um, caught for drugs and alcohol. Um, Blake was one of the only guys that got actually kicked out. But his best friend ended up committing suicide, and Blake found him. So that was it. That was the last straw. So his command quickly got him into rehab. And when he went in, he was diagnosed with psychopathy. They told him, don't even try. This guy's hopeless. He's helpless. He's a monster. And at the time, he was telling me, like, I'm done, like, we're, we're getting a divorce. So I called my mom, and I said, I think this is it. I think I'm coming home. And I prayed, and I said, okay, God, I trust you. If uh, I have to be a single mom of three kids, you're going to provide. And simultaneously, as I'm going through this point with God, just full surrender in the moment, Blake on the other hand, is in rehab, and he has to meet with a psychologist for an hour every day. And his psychologist at that point was, um, she found on his paperwork going into the Navy that he had put Christian as his religious preference. And so she challenged him, and she said, hey, it says here you're a Christian, like, tell me about that. And he said, how dare you bring that up, and just kind of threw it in her face. He's like, I don't believe in God. You're not even supposed to talk to me about that whatever. And so she challenged him and she said, "Um, I think you should ask God where he's been your whole life. And so again, Blake was just angry and frustrated and he walked out. But that night he couldn't get those words out of his head. And I just love how God begins to soften our hearts. And as he was writing an empathy letter that he had to write from the perspective of the person he believed he heard the most, he was writing it from Victoria, our oldest daughter's perspective, and he couldn't even get through it. He was just, tears were covering the pages. And um, he just stopped and he said, okay, God, where have you been my whole life? And in that moment, he heard God and God said, 
I've been here the whole time. Where have you been? And it was this moment where God was um, not like, oh, you degenerate son, but this welcoming, this ushering of, I have been with you through all of this, all of your life, and I've been waiting for this moment to encounter you. And in that moment, Blake knew God was real, and he could trust God, and if God could do this with five seconds of his life, what could he do with the rest of it? So right there, he rededicated his life to the Lord, rededicated his life to the Lord, just him and God, and pulled out the Bible that I had snuck in his bag, and the word just came alive for the first time. I mean, he grew up in Awana, he grew up in church, his family was very involved, but this was the first time he could read the word, and it made sense. And so um, I get a call the next day, and he says, I need you to come see me. I'm not supposed to have visitors, but I'll meet you in the parking lot. So I was like, okay, one last time. So I show up, and he opens my car door, and I get out, and he just gives me this hug, and I can just feel this lightness about him. And he looks at me in the eyes, and he's, his eyes are just sparkling. And he says, I've made a vow of integrity for the first time in my life to you and to God. And right there, I knew that this is what we, I had been praying for for eight years. So I was like, okay, I don't really know what to do from here. But um, he got out of rehab, and I was homeschooling the kids. I didn't have a job. He was getting processed out of the Navy. So we would just spend hours on our living room floor praying and worshiping God and just inviting the Holy Spirit to come in to abide and to heal and restore every part of our marriage, our relationship, our family. And God went above and beyond that. He just began to restore and touch every part of our lives, all the brokenness, um, just completely made new. And because uh, that's what he does. And so um, eventually we were uh, I started personal training at a gym, just for myself, on a side thing. And Blake, he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, God healed his shoulder. Uh, he had a, a shoulder surgery. He didn't have to take the meds. And he was praying, and he was listening to a sermon, and this guy was praying for healing of shoulders. And he thought, oh, well, I'll just pray in faith. And the next morning, he woke up without any pain. And so the Lord healed him, and he was so excited. He would come into the gym working out, and he'd just be like, did you just cough? Can I pray for you? And he just started praying for everybody. And my boss, he was a Christian, and so he loved it. So one time, there was a guy in the office, and um, he had a broken toe. So my boss is like, hey, Blake, get in here. Pray for this guy's toe. So he prays for his toe, and the guy's like, what did you do? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it feels better. Like, it's, like it's good. And Blake was like, that's Jesus. He loves you. And so he just began to uh, minister to people everywhere he went and pray for people. And pretty soon he was working at the gym and he went from being a personal trainer to running the gym. And the Lord's favor and blessing was just on it. And we started a small group in our house for young adults on Friday night. And it was through our church, but really the people who came were from the gym. So we had people getting saved and baptized and coming to the Lord and just encountering him through worship every Friday night. And it was just this beautiful season of our lives and really a time when God was building up our faith. And it got to the point where COVID came and when we were pregnant with Selah. And it was another part of God redeeming our story, that pregnancy and everything that happened. Um, and Blake started to get restless as the gym closed down. And we were like, what are we going to do? And he had some really good mentors in his life at that time. 
and they just spoke into his life and said, you know, I think that God wants to redeem the things that you did as a SEAL. You were a sniper, you were a medic. Like, why do you think God trained, had you go through all that training? And for Blake, he didn't want anything to do with it. He was like, it was just to get me to the end of myself, and that's it. And they were like, no, God wants to use that too. So they recommended we watch the Free Burma documentary, Free Burma Rangers documentary, which if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Uh, it changed our lives. And at, from that point forward, we knew that this was the call that God had put on our lives. And just within three months, we had raised the support, we had sold everything, left our house, quit our jobs. Um, we had a three-week-old baby, and we were traveling the country. And this is one of the places we came to to share our vision. Um, and then by that fall, we were overseas in the Middle East and moving to Thailand. So the Lord did some really miraculous things through all that. And just to encourage you, that's what he wants to do uh, for everyone. He wants to take what is broken and make it new. That's what Christ did for us on the cross. He gave us new life. He gave us second chance. He gave us hope. And he died so that we can have, have that. So, um, so what you saw here... Uh, these videos of our family, it's a total miracle and a blessing that we're here today doing these things of, as a family and an answer to prayer. And we want to live um, and give our life faithfully to God because of what he's done for us. So just to give you a little snap, uh, snapshot of what it looked like to be in the Middle East. Um, this past year we went in and we went into Syria and we're traveling with all of our kids. All of our kids go with us wherever we go. And they all take their homeschool binders and they're doing school in the car. And we're just going to different towns, encouraging the IDPs who are displaced from their homes. They're pushed out um, because of fighting and they're constantly being rained on by mortars and shelling and just this constant threat for their lives. And the, the Turkish government, other like ISIS and other terrorist organizations, trying to keep them in fear. So they've been pushed out of their homes and they're just living in tents or wherever they can. And so we go and we give them food and we do good life programs with them, which is uh, like a VBS packed into two hours in the Middle East. In Burma, it's all day, but Middle East is a little different. Um, so we go around and we visit and encourage them and churches and so we went to Raqqa, which was the last ISIS stronghold, and the entire city is just demolished. The buildings are completely crumbled. Um, you look around and it doesn't look like a city. But they had this church and it had been completely destroyed um, during the, some of the attacks. And we can show you a picture right here. Um, so yeah, this is what the church looked like. It was completely just destroyed and there's parts of it that are completely leveled. And so what FBR did was they were asked to go ahead and go in and build a new one. So they said yes to that and um, through the support and donations of people in the US, they were able to build this beautiful new gym in the middle of the city of Raqqa. So we can show that picture. So here it is, praise the Lord. And it just, sticks out. You can see all these other buildings are still destroyed behind it and around it. And so we went there to open the church with the service and dedicate it to the Lord. And um, so when we went there, we're like a really big target. Like there's not any trees. It's kind of like Cody. It's just arid desert and destroyed city. And then there's this 
bit, well, no. There's this big old church, this big, beautiful beacon of hope and light in the middle of it all, but then you've got us and all of our vehicles and all of our people, and we're a pretty big target. And we decided that we were going to stay the night in the church to just kind of say, hey, this is, this is uh, a stand that we're going to take, and this is a place for people to come and do worship and to know the Lord. So we had a little bit of disagreement in that. Some of the guys who had more of a military background were like, this is a terrible idea. We're just making ourselves open targets. We have our families here. And so we prayed about it, and we had peace. So we decided to stay. So we slept in the basement, and that night about midnight, um, Pete Eubank, Dave's son, he bursts into our room, and he goes, Blake, there's a bomb that just went off. We're going to go check it out. So Blake jumps up, he throws on all his stuff, and then they run out the door. And I'm just laying there going, oh my gosh, God, did you really say? Like, did you really say to bring my kids here? Is this really what you've called us to? And immediately I start doubting God, and fear comes in, and I just start to pray. And God, he's, um, you know, the scripture that comes to mind is he's given us, uh, not the spirit of fear, but uh, of power, love, and a sound mind. There you go. I was testing you. Good job. (laughs) You know the word. So that comes to mind, and I get up, and I go outside, and I walk around, and um, pretty soon they come back, and they're like, it's a car bomb, no big deal, no one was hurt. Like, okay. (laughs) So we go back to bed. And then flash forward, um, a few months later, we're in Burma, and same kind of scenario. All of a sudden, these planes are coming, flying over, and they're dropping bombs about two miles from where we're at. And we're all hiding in trenches, just under the ground, like you saw the girls. And again, that fear comes in, and you start to question God in that moment of, wow, is this really where you've called me to be? But then we look right and we look left and we see the families that are there with us and we realize, yeah, yeah, why God? God sent us here and the reason why is for these people and that it's his love and his compassion through us and that's why we're there. And so it's in that moment that you realize, wow, I'm really not here for me. I'm here for God and what he's called my family to and that's to be with these people who don't have the choice to be here. They have to be here and they would understand if we said, bye, we're out, this isn't our war. But they're encouraged and they're moved by our courage and faith to stand with them and that points to Jesus and the love of Jesus for them in their lives and so that's why we stay in the trenches. So those, those things come up and I just want to encourage you and challenge you um, that faith is un- it, it looks uncomfortable and it looks like stepping outside of that box and doing something courageous and trusting God with your life. It takes risk, um, but he's faithful to meet you there wherever that is. So I'm going to go ahead and hand the mic over to Blake and he's going to finish giving a full update. Thank you. Can you yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah, it's you know, I've heard our testimony more than anybody else, and it just still blows me away to hear it. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we continue to tell it is just, one, to remind ourselves, but also to uh, encourage everyone in here that whatever, wherever God has you, um, He is the answer and he, he is the solution in all of that. And so whenever we speak, I, you know, I, when I first started speaking, I would make notes and I'd try to you know, come up with a plan of what I was going to do and then I quickly realized that I never went off of my notes or my plan and that that was just kind of a waste of time for me 
It didn't work for me. So I always, uh, before I speak, I'm just like, okay, God, it's up to you. Speak, speak whatever story, whatever testimony um, you have. And this week I've been in Romans chapter 5, and I think it kind of just ties into the stories that Sammy was talking about, because we never, we, we have uh, testi- so many testimonies, hundreds, literally hundreds of testimonies of uh, different things that the Lord has done overseas. And, um, but this week, God's just been really highlighting uh, in Romans chapter 5 of just the perseverance that produces faith. And so that's what the, the premise of that is. And I, I kind of like, I don't know if I came up with it myself, but I just started telling myself, do hard things. When I read that verse, that's what I hear is do hard things and it'll produce faith. And through that faith, um, God will work supernatural miracles and, and he'll do the rest. And so um, we, I don't know if any of, of, you, of you know what's going on in Burma. Uh, raise your hand if you've seen anything about Burma in the news this year. Okay. One, two, three, four hands. And that's kind of the issue. That's been, there's been a civil war for 75 years that's been going on inside Burma, and there's been almost no coverage, um, international help, or any other aid that's been given to those people. And so our ministry, the Free Burma Rangers, it started uh, 25 years ago inside Burma because of the conflict that, was, that arose. Um, it's a humanitarian aid organization where we go to the middle of the conflict zone and we try to provide help, hope, and love to the people that are stuck there. They can't leave. And so when we show up as a family, we bring food, we bring water, and we bring uh, the joy of the Lord, which is inside of us. And that's the most powerful part. We get to see that um, just um, miracles happen through the joy of the Lord that's in us. And so uh, we find ourselves in these scenarios that are very uncomfortable. And I think in, in the word, one of the words, the describing word for the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And I think when we are in a comfortable place and we find ourselves, you know, we're, we're creatures of habit, we're human, our human nature, our flesh, it wants to be in a comfortable place. But when we're in that place, we really have no need for the Holy Spirit. And so um, I, th- I find, you know, just the proof of putting yourself in hard places or being in the, finding joy in the suffering, it really produces faith and we get to see God work in that way. So one of the one of the uh, testimonies that I wanted to share this morning, um, everything in Burma requires walking. There's no roads where we go. We, we, we aren't there legally. The Burma government controls the centralized, the plains of Burma, and then the ethnic minorities um, control the outside areas. And they've been fighting the Burmese government for 75 years. Um, and the fight is over, really over power. It's over uh, the idea that the Burma government wants complete control of the people. And there's people and ethnic uh, militias and, and um, factions and people groups, ethnic minorities, who haven't been willing to give them that power because it's a dictatorship and they don't like the way that they're running their country. And so they've been fighting this Burmese government, which is a conventional army. They have tanks, they have uh, armored vehicles, they have an air force, they have helicopters, they have it all. And, and you can't really fight that successfully with a militia. You know, it'd be very similar if the United States government turned on the people. The people here are very well armed, but an M4 doesn't really do anything against an airplane. So you would be able to fight a little bit, but when a conventional army goes up against an armed people, it doesn't really work. And so without any outside help, there's been um, a major conflict that's been happening for 75 years. 
Eight years ago, there was a ceasefire agreement where the Burmese government said, okay, we'll let you guys come up with a democracy. You can have elected members. We'll let you guys do this and we'll kind of control our areas. You can control your areas. We'll, we'll uh, agree to disagree. But when you've been fighting for 75 years, you can't really say, okay, we're gonna have peace now. We'll stop fighting. So some, some of the fighting, there was a, a lull over the last eight years, but really it never ceased. And so February 1st, 2021, there was a coup. The Burmese government said, okay, this ceasefire is over. We're gonna come after you with everything that we have until you submit to us, until we have complete power over the country. And so what happened when that happened was all of the Burmans, for the first time ever, the Burmans who are supposed, who have really largely been sympathizers of the Burmese government, they saw the evil that was their government. And so they said, wait, 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 we disagree with this entirely. We want you to still allow them to have their democracy. We want you to be able to, um, them to be able to do this and why are you coming after them? And they said, if, you, uh, if you're siding with the ethnics, then you're our enemy too. And so they began to just absolutely murder their own people. And so for the first time ever, the Burmans were like, wait a second, we disagree with our government. We, we can't stand for this. And so uh, it's been about a year and a half since that coup took place. And we've seen more unity in the entire country and amongst the ethnic groups than we've ever seen um, in 75 years of ministry in Burma. So that's the good part. The bad part is that the Burmese government has taken everything that they have against the people. And so indiscriminate airstrikes, artillery, um, they're just burning villages. They're calling it a scorched earth campaign where they're coming through and they're burning these villages and kicking the people out of their homes. And so we go into Burma and we do these humanitarian missions and we help the people either evacuate their homes or carry their supplies. And then they end up in these IDP camps. And so when you're displaced inside of your country, you're considered an internally displaced person, an IDP. When you leave the country, you're then considered a refugee. So internally, uh, there's over 1.2 million IDPs inside Burma. And in one little area of Kareni State, it's one of the ethnic minorities, um, there's 400,000 that have been displaced just since January this year. And so that's where we were on mission at uh, the beginning of the year. And it's just absolute, it's full-on war. It's the worst fighting since World War II. Uh, there's more people dying and, and getting wounded from landmines and airstrikes and helicopter gunships. And these are villagers. They're not, uh, they're not these militias. Even the, even the militias that do exist are not, uh, they're not trained military personnel. They're young men and women who disagree with the government and have decided they're gonna fight against their government, but they have no weapons, largely. They, you know, some of them will have a musket that they've been given from their grandfather for hunting. I've literally seen people out there with slingshots. And there's no lack of courage, but there's a lack of training, there's a lack of, um, uh, there's a lack of munitions and power to try to fight the government, but they're, they're willing to give their life and to fight with everything that they have and to give their life to fight the Burmese government. And so we began, FBR's main role uh, over the last 25 years is to train up these humanitarian teams and we have a three-month ranger training where we, we bring them in, we give uh, map and compass training, we give how to properly send a report up so that we can get it out to international communities and raise awareness of what, about what's going on. And medical training, we have a jungle school of medicine. And so that's been our main role as a ministry is to use that as a door to uh, uh, share the gospel and share um, the love of Jesus to these people. 
But when the coup happened, we had this new ethnic group that came and they asked for training, which was the Burmans. And for 25 years, we've never trained a single Burman because they've always been sympathetic to their government. But in February 1st of 2021, we got to train our first group of Burmans. And it was kind of a, it was a miracle for us because this is, you know, we're the free Burma Rangers. And until then, we had not trained Burmans, all Burmans. And so it was really a, a gift for us. And we built this training program for the civil disobedience movement is what they were calling themselves. And so it was the civilians, it was the kids who were dropping out of college or high school because their country has erupted back into war and they, they disagreed with what their government was doing and they wanted to do something about it. And so they came to the ethnic minorities, they came to the ethnic militias who have been fighting this government for 75 years and they said, will you please help us? And the initial response was, no way, we're not gonna help you because you're the enemy, you're spies, we don't trust you. We've been fighting them for 75 years. What do you know about your government? And they were, they were met with this, uh, a, a bit of opposition. And so through the ministry and through Dave and Karen and what they've done, they have a high level of trust amongst the, amongst the ethnic generals and, and senior leaders. And they looked at us and they said, well, can you train them? And so I was with Dave in that meeting and we prayed and we just felt, yeah, we have to train them. We can't say no, we're gonna, we're gonna train these guys. We'll meet them. And so there was a huge security risk. We didn't know what it was gonna look like. We didn't know who we were gonna meet when we walked into the jungle, but we just heard there was a group of students that had come from Yangon, which Yangon was one of the largest places where they had done these silent protests and they stood up against the government and the government was just shooting RPGs into these protesting crowds and, and automatic weapons and just uh, murdering all these men and women that were standing against uh, the oppression. And so we hiked into the jungle and we meet these group of fiery, young, somewhat educated, more educated than ethnic minorities, but they're dropouts from college because they're, you know, now their country's erupted. And they were just this amazing group of people. And we said, how can we help you? We don't know what you need or what's gonna be beneficial to you because we've never, you know, we don't know what it's like in the city. Our work primarily works in the, the jungle, in the thick um, ethnic areas. What can, how can we help you? And so initially they were like, well, we need, to, you know, we need weapons and we need bombs and we need all these things. And we're like, well, we can't help you in those areas. We're not you know, the US government, but we can give you medical training and we can give you leadership training. And we can really, for us, we were, we were, we were like, we can disciple these guys but they didn't, you know, they don't know that word. And so we built this training program. It was about a month long. And every single day we would have a devotion in the morning and we'd get the group, you know, most of, most of the Burmans are Buddhists or animists, some Muslims, and um, not very many Christians, but we go with the gospel everywhere we go. We, we try to be ambassadors for Jesus. And so we started this training program, not really knowing what we were going to do or what the outcome was going to be, but we just knew we had to. We knew we prayed and God said, yes, train these um, young students. And so every day we would do a devotion and then we'd take them out and we'd teach them how to rope, cl uh, climb up cliffs and lower patients down cliffs and do medicine. And we just loved on these guys for a month. And then at the end of the month, we graduated them and we said, okay, now you go back to your cities and you help as many people as you can. If you help one person, that person's gonna be happy and you're gonna be happy and you've, you'll be successful. And that's what we told them. And, and at the very last day, we gave uh, our last devotion and we gave uh, another gospel presentation. You know, the gospel's in every devotion. Every time we speak, I believe that there's a piece of the gospel because Jesus is in us 
and, um, in, and he wants to, to use us. But 95% of the class, that first class, came running up to give their life to the Lord and to get baptized, which has never happened in 25 years of ministry. And so we were like, yeah, so that was amazing. And so then we send these young students off back to their cities, and we start getting reports back of just how well they were doing, how many people they were helping, how many reports they were sending. And it was just this, all of a sudden, the ethnic generals and, and the militias, they said, well, you need to train all these people. And at that time, there was about 10,000 that had fled. They said, can you train all of them? And so we're like, we'll do it. We don't know how. We're spread thin, but we believe that, that yes, we, we can train them. And so we went on this task, and we started to just run these trainings month after month. And we did six back-to-back -back trainings in six months in the jungle. And every single class, that percentage of them was giving their life to the Lord. And it was, we, were, we ran out of Bibles to give. We had to get more Bibles sent in from other countries into Thailand and then get into Burma to give these students Bibles because they were so hungry for the gospel. And at the very end uh, of that time, we did a training of trainers and we wanted to make, you know, the model of FBR is to, to not be reliant on us going in. And when we leave, then the, the work stops, the humanitarian aid stops. Our goal is to empower them and equip them so that they can um, continue to do this stuff as we come back and share, you know, come back to the States, share, share their story, share the news and, and help them by getting the news out. And so we did a training of trainers and um, we brought back like the top students from each class and said, okay, now we're going to teach you how to teach your people and run these, you know, run these training programs. And so at the end of that, we gave them a week to, we were, we were the students, they were the trainers. And, and I just remember, I just want to share this story because for me, I wasn't, at that point, I was not looking at it as discipleship. I was looking at it as, this is my job as a volunteer for Free Burma Rangers to use the skills that I've been to give to these students. And that's how I'm, you know, and then, of course, talking about the Lord and what the Lord's done in my life and using that every time, every interaction that I had with one of the students. Um, but I wasn't looking at it as uh, a discipleship. And so we get... We, it's the very first day of the first week where they're the trainers and we're the students. And we always start every day with PT. We do an hour, an hour and a half of PT because we believe, you know, do hard things, put your body through some physical, uh, try your body and you'll pr produce faith in that way too. And you'll be able to serve your people better. And the first thing they did, and some of them were not saved, but the guy who was running the, the PT that morning, he was the instructor, He's not saved. He's not a Christian. He looks at one of the Christians and he goes, let's hold hands and let's pray. And we had not told them, this is how you need to do it. This is how, this, this is, you know, we didn't give them a curriculum. We didn't give them a blueprint. They had just seen what we did at the beginning of every evolution that we pray. And I thought at that moment it clicked. I was like, we've been discipling these guys this whole time. They've been watching what we're doing and they're going to go and model this. And since then we've been given videos and pictures and they're they're doing of them you know praying with these big groups of Burmans and um, it's since we've trained over 10,000 of, of those CDM the, the civil disobedience movement uh, people and so it was just an awesome opportunity that we got to be there and to share the love of Jesus through a practical way and and something that uh, really ministered to my heart and then of course doing it with my family and I'll kind of close with this I know I'm going over on time um, if you have to get your kids, really that's the only thing I care about is honoring the, the uh, child care workers who are volunteering down there. So if you have to, you can get your kids, or if you have to leave, you know, you have a date, uh, please, I won't be offended if you leave. 
Um, but I have a few more things that I want to share and kind of tie it into this perseverance of faith. One of the trainings that we went into, so the girls, um, you know, our oldest, she came into this at nine years old when we were over there. And we've, Sammy has, has always been super active, super outdoorsy with them. They've climbed and hiked their whole life. But going into the jungle as a family was an entire, entirely different thing. You're going into a conflict zone, you're hiking up huge steep mountains, going down into the valley, and it's brutal. It's the hardest, physically, some of the hardest hiking and, and things that I've done in my life. And so we get the opportunity, we heard that there was 200 students, or sorry, I'm sorry, 60, there was 66 students at one of these trainings that we were going to do. And our family got asked if we could go and do this training. And so of course we we're like, yes, you know, the girls have been practicing hiking in the humidity. It's 100% humidity, like 120 degrees in the summer. It's just brutally hot. And a lot of the times when we're walking in, we have to walk at night under the cover of darkness because, we're, because of the areas that we're walking. And so my youngest, she had just turned five, Joanna, or sorry, our youngest that was actually walking. Sammy was carrying our two-year-old on her back and so she'd been, you know, they'd been practicing their hiking and practicing walking at night in Thailand. They'd go out with their headlamps, walk up a mountain and walk back and just getting them used to doing this so that when we could go in uh, to help the people that we would not have to rely on them, that we could actually be there to help the people and that they wouldn't have to serve us because when we go, we want to be able to serve them completely. And so we prayed, we felt, yes, this is time for us to go. And Jojo, again, she had just turned five. She had just had her fifth birthday. And I don't know if any of you have five-year-olds, um, but getting them up at midnight to walk in the jungle, not usually a pleasant thing. But God's grace covers her. She's a normal five-year-old. She complains about normal things, and she will throw fits about normal things. But she knew we were going to help the people, and she didn't complain one time. We get her up. She gets her bag on. We're walking into the jungle. And there was a certain section where the Burma army was, and we had to be very quiet while we were walking around that, that uh, particular area. And where we were walking, it's thick jungle on one side of the, the mountain and a steep cliff like 200 feet down on the other. And the path is about as wide as my hand. You have to walk one foot in front of the other or else you'll go off the other side. And it's pitch black. We're using red lights. And if you ever, again, if you ever put a headlamp on a five-year-old, they're going like this like wherever the light goes, they're like a bumblebee. And I was like, okay, this quickly I realized this is not going to work. Joanna, I'm gonna hold your light, I'm gonna hold it above your head and you're just gonna walk on the, you're gonna follow the light, follow the path. And so we're walking and then it begins to rain. And when it rains in Burma, it's beginning of rainy season, it pours. And that red like clay mud becomes like ice, it becomes so slick. And so we're sliding all over the place, just trying not to die. And I'm going, God, this is the craziest thing in the world. What am I doing? My wife has our two-year-old on her back. Victoria and Olivia are carrying their bags, and JoJo's in front of me. And I just was praying. That's all I could do. I was just like, okay, God, I, I'm just praying for their protection. My, you know, not, trying not to think about my wife carrying my, our two-year-old and watching our, my oldest daughter, who's like a mountain goat, just cruise down, and I'm slipping, and they're kind of laughing at me as I'm falling. And we get to this area... And again, we had to be pretty quiet. And there's a step down. I'm watching, we're walking downhill at this point, and there's rock, big rocks, like two foot ledges that we're having to step off. Jojo at the time is like two and a half feet. So these are like, she's like bouldering down these rocks as you know, easy for us to step. And I'm watching her and I'm holding the light. And before I could even 
it kind of happens slow motion. She catches her foot on a rock or on a root and her head off of the step. So it was a, about a four foot fall for her, just smashes a rock. And immediately I'm filled with fear and filled, filled with doubt of I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm the worst parent in the world. And that all of this happens in a moment. She looks back at me, her eyes are super wide, her head split open and bleeding. And I just grabbed her and she buried her head into my shoulder and just says, Dad, ouch. <laughs> and she didn't cry, she didn't scream, she did not, none of that. And, and I'm holding her and I said, Joanna, I'm so sorry that this happened. And I'm really starting to get mad, mostly at myself of like, I've done the stupidest thing in the world. They're not, and, and again, like Sammy talked about, I'm beginning to doubt God. And a couple minutes goes by and she goes, Dad, I want to finish walking. I want to walk. And again, she's a normal five-year-old. Any other day, she would throw a fit. She'd be like, I'm done. But God's grace is on our children too. You know that, right? They have not been given a junior Holy Spirit. They have the same Spirit of God that's inside of us. And so her perseverance, as I'm reading you know, in, these, in the scriptures that perseverance produces faith, I'm realizing that this is her perseverance. It's producing faith. She gets up, she finishes the walk. We meet these students the next morning and we're interviewing these students and we're, you know, one of the questions we ask is, what was your job? What do you do? Are you a farmer? Are you an engineer, mechanic, whatever? And 100% of the students were Burmese defectors. They were Burma police who had disagreed with what was going on and they defected to the, to the um, ethnic minorities. So we do this training. Our girls are super involved with it. My, you know, Victoria's teaching them how to tie their harnesses and doing rope work with them on the rocks. And we do uh, devotions every single day again. And 100%, or I'm sorry, three of the 66 did not give their life to the Lord. So again, 98% of them gave their life to the Lord at the end of this. And I'm like, and I'm asking God, I'm going, okay, this is, this is God's, this is the, the promise that he says, if you persevere, I'll produce faith. And I believe that as my daughter walked into the jungle and was persevering, that her faith actually produced in them the more faith to, to want to believe in Jesus. They see my family, they're playing with her, they're picking her up. They're like, what are you doing here? Why are you here with us? Why, why do you believe in us? And we get to tell them it's because Jesus sent us, it's because Jesus loves them, and that there's Christians in America who are sending us and praying for them and who are there for them. And you know, we've, we, knowing, doing this training, we know we have to walk out the exact same way. And my daughter's asking me, Dad, you know, we, we have to do this. And at the end of that two, three hour walk up and down these mountains, we got on mopeds and we took mopeds like the last four hours through the jungle, through the same little path. And it's, a, again, it's a cliff on one side and a thick jungle on the other. And so on the way out, they're like, if it rains, we have to walk, and it's going to be about an eight-hour walk. We can't take mopeds. And these are, these are like real mopeds. They're like 125cc Honda Clicks. They're not like motorcycles. This is not like the Baja you know, race in the desert. This is like, these should not be in the jungle. How did you even get these here? And most of them, you know, they're just blip, 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 blip. They don't even, they'll shut off. They, they don't work properly. And so we, we're, we're coming out after this amazing training, after these young students give their life to the Lord and then go back to their ethnic areas. 
And Jojo and I, we're kind of partnered up, and the, the older girls, we do, we do the walk. It goes fantastic. You know, it's three in the morning. She's walking. She has a great attitude about it. She's talking about how uh, she, she actually enjoys serving the people. She's like, I, you know, we do this because we love these people. And I'm just like getting ministered by my five-year-old daughter. I'm getting like the Lord's ministering to my heart through her. And so we get on these motorcycles, and she's like, Dad, I'm scared. And I said, it's okay. You know, we just prayed together. And we were on them for like, I don't know, five seconds. And our driver, because we had ethnic drivers that knew where to go. And so it was our driver, Jojo in between us, and then I was on the back. Again, 125 cc's going up. We had to get off to, to walk up the steep. And then, you know, we're zigzagging through. And my wife's got our baby, you know, with her. And then the two oldest are with another motorcycle. And we're, we almost go off this cliff. The front wheel's like hanging off. It's like free spinning. And she just grabs my arms again. She goes, Dad, I'm scared. And I said, it's okay. We prayed. I said, we're going to be okay. We get back on the path. And we're going five minutes into it. She's like leaning out. And if you lean out on a small, you know, bike like that, the whole thing wants to lean. I said, Jojo, you can't do that. We're, you know, we're going we're gonna to flip off. We need to stay in. So I push her in. A couple seconds later, she's like leaning out again. Like, <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? And I look around, and she's just dead asleep. She's like. <laughs> and I was like, what in the world? Like, she knew the seriousness of what, because right before that, she's like, Dad, I'm scared. And I just felt the Lord say, this is how I slept in the boat. It's because I trusted who my father was. And on that, in that moment, on the back of the bike, I thought, wow, she trusts me. That's either a, the stupidest thing in the world, or she believes she has that perseverance and that faith, and she believes that she's there because God brought her there too. So I just wanted to kind of finish with that story because, um, you know, I, I began, I, I digest all this with the Lord, and I, and I try to go, God, what do you have in this for my kids and for me? And one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in doing ministry with my family is that they have just as much to offer as I do. And I may think because I have this resume or I have you know, stuff that looks good on paper that I'm qualified to be there. But really the only thing that qualifies me to be there is Jesus. And he's the same uh, in me as he is in my kids and he qualifies them to be there. And so I thought, man, Jesus was, you know, when he came as this young stud on the scene and all the older men, all the Pharisees, they hated him. Why did they hate him? I don't know. I could come up with a couple reasons. You know, there's a couple explanations given, but I think one of the reasons was pride. They didn't want to see this young teacher that knew more than them, you know, knew more than them and had more to offer when he did. And so I thought, wow, I don't want to be so filled with pride or so um, full of myself that I can't learn something from my five-year-old because she has so much to offer me and she has so much to offer, you know, the people that we serve. And so I learned so much um, in doing ministry with our, with our kids. And um, when we come back to the States, you know, when we go over there, like I said, we're ambassadors for Jesus. We're ambassadors for the American church that sends us to go there. And then when we come back to the States, we're ambassadors for those people. Because like I said at the beginning of this, you know, three people raised their hand about what's going on in Burma. It is an absolute, it's an all-out war. It's probably the bloodiest war in history right now that's happening. Um, it's, it's, there's more humanitarian rights violations going on that are being completely ignored by other countries and by the um, international community. Uh, and it's absolutely devastating to those people. But when we come here, that we're their voice, we're their ambassadors, and we get the gift to share their story and what it looks like and how you can pray 
uh, you know, and support them. And, you know, the, the first thing we always pray for when we circle up and pray before we go out and, and go to these frontline scenarios is that we pray that God would change the hearts of the Burma army, that we wouldn't have to fight them anymore, that they would just surrender their weapons, that, that, that they would realize that what they're doing is wrong because it's not a religious war. They're not, it's not ISIS. It's completely different in the Middle East. It's a, a war over power. And so we've seen in, in the last you know, year and a half since the coup, we've seen more defectors, more people turn themselves in. And we see that. I've, I've gotten to meet people, meet Burmese soldiers who have shot at our teams. You know, the year prior, they shot at a group of us we were, you know, when we were there. And meet them and tell them that we forgive them and that we love them and that Jesus loves them. And it's just such a unique opportunity. I'm so thankful for it. Um, yeah, it's 11.02. I time travel when I'm up here. The clock just kind of moves with my lips, and uh, I forget the time. So I'll close. We, we had a couple of videos. I want to share, share, I'm going to share those. Is that okay? I share two videos. So the first video is called Reflections on a Resurrection. Uh, it's about our time in Kareni State. We've lost, uh, in 25 years of ministry, we've lost 35 uh, rangers to the war. This year, we've lost 15 this calendar year. So it kind of just shows you the gravity of the situation. And this video, uh, it's called Reflections on a Resurrection. It happened this year while we were there. We've, we lost two. It highlights two of our rangers, two of the five that we had lost at the time that we made this video. And it's not, uh, it's not to, uh, to like glorify the violence or what's happening there. It's really to shed light on what is happening. These people died helping uh, men and women evacuate from their homes. They died from airstrikes and from 120 millimeter mortars that were coming in. And really, the beauty of this, both of them loved the Lord. Both of the, the rangers in this video loved the Lord. They served us amazingly. One, the, the girl, Elizabeth, she'd make breakfast, lunch, and dinner for our team every single day. Would find out what we liked to eat and would go out and find it and just was an amazing servant of the Lord. Amazing. Uh, loved her people and gave her life, and really what we have in the gospel, what we have in this upside-down kingdom that we're a part of, is that in death, there is life. And so that's why we share this story. For one, is that we're encouraged to get outside of our comfort zone. We're encouraged to do hard things, things that require uh, blood, sweat, and tears, and do it knowing that the word of God, which is true, says that that will produce faith. And so we, we do, we, I share this video for that reason, and then also to honor them and, and to, to help get the news out about what's happening. You know, I was watching highlights of the Tour de France, and there was like 57 million views on one video. And I thought, what would it look like to get 57 million views for one of, our, one of these videos, one of the, you know, to get it picked up by a news station and to get um, people involved in what's happening in Burma? And so that's the other reason I share this video. And then I'll share... Uh, I'll end on a, a really high note, which is the Good Life Clubs that we do, which is where we just go and um, we minister to the people that are living in these IDP camps. We do a gospel presentation, we do skits, and we get to just be silly with these kids. And in the middle of a conflict zone where there should be no joy, we get to see the supernatural joy of the Lord um, in, in and through these people. And, so you, and I, I wanted to share that with you guys because really that's what they have to offer. They have more joy than I've ever seen in any human uh, ethnic group in my entire life, and I've seen a lot of ethnic groups. They have so much joy to give to the world, and um, I want to finish with that video, but first I'll play Reflections on a Resurrection about two of our good friends.
Okay, so um, I'm gonna go right into the next video because I know it's gone really long, but um, yeah, the next video is uh, again of our time in Kareni State, which is where we spent the majority of this last year. It's where the fighting is the worst right now. There's 400,000 people that are displaced just in that area alone. And um, we would do these, th there's about you know, anywhere from 1,000 to 10,000 people in each IDP camp. And so we were doing good life clubs every single day, day in, day out. And I'd put Peter on my shoulders and put a bag overhead. We were David and we were Goliath in the David and Goliath skit. And day after day, you know, doing these over and over, I began to kind of complain about it and go, man, I don't want to, oh, we got to go and do this skit again or sing these songs. And I began to um, just start, start to feel a little bit sorry for myself. And, um, and then, you know, after we do these good life clubs, we go out to the front lines and we, we treat the wounded and carry, you know, they're their wounded and dead off the front lines. And it's very sobering. And we had just come from a good life club and we were getting shot at in this area. And it was, you know, we had no cover. I was hiding behind a bush, which doesn't stop bullets. You know, bullets are pinging behind my head. And I look at our ethnic cameraman and he's big smile on his face. And I said, man, I wish I was David and Goliath right now. And he goes, yeah, I wish I was the bear. Because he was the bear that would come out and like David would kill him with a slingshot. And I just thought how quickly, you know, we can, uh, th there's always something that we can go, oh, really? But God's prepared us for that moment right then. And if we look for God in that moment, then we'll find him. And so this last video is just a highlight of the Good Life Clubs. And you can really see the joy on the kids' uh, faces and in their spirit that we get to just be a part of. And so you can go ahead and play this last video and then oh I'll
Yeah, so the, like that video said, the, the people, after we filmed this, those kids have already had to flee a second time because of the persecution of the Burmese government. So continue to pray for them. Thank you, Greg and Outpost, for, for giving us this time. It was a kind of a last-minute, actually very last-minute decision to give us the entire service as a, huge, as a risky move for Greg. So honor him. Thank you for letting us share this, this time and giving us this time. It, it means a lot to our family and to the people in Burma that, that we get to serve. So thank you again, Outpost Church. And uh, we love you guys and look forward to meeting you after this and fellowshipping. Let me, if you guys don't mind, Sammy, I'd love for you to come up too, and Blake, you can come down here, and I'm going to pray for them, um, and wrap this up, and then we're going to go get, you know, kids, and go into some things, but guys, this is, I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot to take in, and, um, but you've got their information on those cards that we're handing out. If you did not get one, we can get you one. We'll make sure every single person or family can have that. Um, but let me pray for them, and I'm going to give you guys a few things that would be really, really helpful for you to consider how to pray and love and support and care for these guys as they continue to care for friends that you don't know the name of, but they do, because God's placed them in their life, okay? Let me pray. Well, Father, I'm so thankful that you, you place all of us. Every single one of us is uniquely placed by you. And if you wanted someone else standing in our shoes, you would have put them here, but you haven't. And so we're, we're incredibly thankful that we've gotten to meet Blake and Sammy and just to see where you've placed their feet and their shoes, uh, their mopeds, uh, to bring love and joy and peace and the goodness of the gospel uh, to a group of people who otherwise, uh, who would bring it, who would go? As, as Paul says in Romans, who would preach to them if no one is sent? And we just thank you that our friends and our brothers and sisters are sent. But help us not miss at the same time that you've sent us to a people. So may we all collectively be passionate about Bring your word and your good news uh, to our people, whether it's here, the Bighorn Basin, the United States, or beyond all the way to Burma. I pray blessing on them and the rest of their trip, God, that you would connect them to the right people in every place, that they would be supported and loved and prayed for. And God, we do pray for relief that the end of this civil war would be this year. God, that you would uh, bring a laying down of arms that no one would ever see coming, but it was all because of you and the whole world would see that Jesus is King and King of Burma. Continue to move, continue to work as you have already in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well guys, Hey, I want to tell you a couple things. This is gonna be a great way for you to be a part of their life and uh, to support them. One of the things I'm really passionate about, and I know we've been here for a while, but after watching that, hopefully you're not going to complain about suffering in this room, you know, um, but hey, I want to tell you, one of the things I'm passionate about is I don't just want to be a, ch a church that supports people, okay? What I want to be is a people that supports people. And so we've said over and over intentionally that the church is not a building, it's a people, all right? It's a body of believers who are called together by one thing, and the only thing that unites us is Jesus. And so here's what you could do. If you're a member at Outpost, uh, raise your hand. You're a member here? Okay, so it means you're a part of a, a community team here at Outpost. I want every one of you, okay, if you have not got a card to get one, and I want you to pray with your team about how you guys can directly support the, the Donnellys, okay? Not how the leadership team can prayerfully support, how you and your family and your mission team, which is your community team, can be a part of them. Because we want you to be connected to them. They have a website, is it Luke 249? Luke 249 Project, you can go there. That's a great way. If you want to support them financially, you can go there. If you want to support them in prayer, you can do that anywhere. 
but we want you guys to be connected to them in your teams. Does that make sense? Because that's how we're going to go to war with them and to help fight for the people there, okay? So we want to connect you that way, all right? And uh, that's the best way to love and support them. They love when people reach out to them. They are really quick to get back to me. It's amazing. They're better at emailing me back than you are. Um, and so, and, uh, so I'm just like, praise God. They're going to love you back and it's going to be really incredibly helpful, okay? All right, guys. Well, I love you. Let me pray for us as a group because you've heard a lot and I really want you to consider it. And without the Spirit's help, you can do nothing. Without Jesus and abiding in Him, you can do nothing. And then parents, first thing you should do is go get your kids, okay? Because if I did not say that, I had a consequence the staff was going to make me pay for. But I don't know where Jake is. I said it, all right? I think I was going to have to dress up and do something on the street, but now I don't have to. God, you are good and you're the God of joy but you're the God of passion, which means to suffer. And you did not save us from a distance. You joined in with us to put on flesh. As Philippians 2 says, we cannot even understand what it means. We can't grasp God. Yet you humbled yourself to become a servant, even a servant of death and death on a cross. And so God, what can we not give what can we not surrender to a God who surrendered everything? I pray would this would not be lost on us. Awaken your people. Awaken these friends to see that we do not, you do not have to go to Burma to live radically for Jesus. We decide to live radically for Jesus today. And then we follow you wherever you take us. And today you're taking us back into this city that we love, that have children who need the gospel and neighbors who need the gospel. I pray that we have courage to open our mouths, to express joy, love, compassion with perseverance and steadfastness, knowing that in time we will reap a reward in this life or the next. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.